Whenever people ask me what I do for work, I always tell them I have the best job in the world. Aside from the privilege of making this podcast, I get to wake up every day and go to work at Weimar Academy. Weimar Academy is a high school located in the foothills of the Sierra Mountains of Northern California. Why is it the best job? Not just because few things are more important than working with young minds and leading them to Jesus, but because the young people there, the students, they're awesome. I firmly believe they're going to change the world. And if you're of the high school age, or you have kids or relatives that are, I want you to consider sending them to Weimar Academy too. At Weimar Academy, our goal is singular. We want to do everything possible to make sure these students meet Jesus. And you can meet him too. Maybe even in one of my Bible classes. If you'd like to come and visit and check it out for yourself, visit WeimarAcademy.org. And I thought to myself, my life's not normal anymore. You know, my parents, they come home and they garden. They go for walks together. They read books. And when I was young, I was a bookworm. And I had come to a point where I couldn't do any of those things. My life existed like the only place I could be is in a club with the music playing and we're out and we're having, you know, we're clubbing, dancing. And as soon as I left that place, I would just feel an emptiness in my life, a void. And nothing could fill that void. And I chased after everything that was available pleasure-wise. And so that's kind of when I started to realize that, wow, life is really, really meaningless. What am I living for? I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Today's guest is a truly fascinating character. Calvin Kim is a dentist from Olympia, Washington. He's the co-founder of Army Bible Camp and the F5 Challenge. And he currently serves as the VP of Evangelism for ASI, one of the largest evangelism-focused institutions in the world. His passion for fitness and health is second only to his greatest passion, giving Bible studies and winning souls into God's kingdom. And something tells me that his participation in this episode might just increase the population of God's kingdom ever so slightly. It was only a few episodes ago that we stepped into the shoes of a young King Solomon, the vibrant King of Israel, and the wisest man to have ever lived bar one. But oh, how much can change over the course of a single lifetime. No longer are we met with that youthful vibrance of he who sang the Song of Songs. Ages ago, it seems, the Queen of Sheba walked those shores, brought to her knees at the sight of the majesty of the God of Israel's kingdom. Now, now we turn the dark pages of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon has lived a life, to say the least. And as he approaches his last days, he looks back 
pen in hand and reflects on a life spent chasing the wind. I love that in this book, that he's asking the kind of questions that all of us ask from time to time. Mm -hmm. Like, is it possible to have a meaningful life without purpose in this world? Mm -hmm. And so I just love how he unpacks it and he shares it. Um, and the thing is, I can relate to him, not in any way by wealth, because none of us can, yeah. or in the way of wisdom, but I can relate and it's because I had an insatiable and reckless thirst for pleasure. Mm. And here you can see that wisdom doesn't make you immune to the follies of sin. Right. As we see, because here when he starts out in his life, he was so faithful walking in God's way. And then here we see where his life goes in a completely different trajectory. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because he gets to live the life that everyone wants to live. You know, the, the desire of the flesh yeah. is he gets to do the whole thing. And when you, you know, both of us have had our experiences away from Christianity and you look at his story and you think, well, that's what I want. Yep. I want the money and I want the wisdom. I want to be venerated and for people to, to see me as this exalted figure. I want to achieve all of these things. And I think the idea there is that once I have it all, I, I'll come to a place in my life where I'll look back and just be like, oh, this has been amazing. This is every, everything that anyone could ever want. And Solomon has the polar opposite experience. He looks back and in looking back, the one word that comes to his mind is the Hebrew word is, is just breath. There's nothing to it. Like it's just, it's meaningless. I had all of it without the Lord. It's, it's vanity. Here, you know, we see in First Kings chapter two, we see his father, David, for so much of his life, he was such a winner, mm. but he had some major fails in his life. And you live with those regrets. And I'm so thankful that God forgives us and cleanses us and in him, we can have a new life. But still, there's some things I can't erase. Mm. There are some consequences from my actions that have hurt people dearly. And so here, David, because of his experience, he wants to caution his son. Mm. And so here we see him sharing this with his son that because he knows that the only way that his son is going to be successful as a king is that he will be faithful to God and walk in his statutes and his commandments. You know, a wise and successful person was once asked, what is the key to your success? And this person said, good judgment. They asked him, where did you get good judgment from? And he said, experience. Hmm. And where do you get experience? And his reply was, poor judgment. Hmm. You know, since my conversion when I was about 27, and it makes sense because, you know, um, studies show that your frontal lobe for most of us does not mature until you're 25, but even until the age of 30. Mm. And so finally at about 27, I think my frontal lobe finally matured and that's when I had my conversion. And since then, you know, my life has been a blessing, but, and I attribute that to making good choices. Mm -hmm. And that's because I had plenty of bad choices in my life. I've made so many that I'm very careful now. And so I've learned from my, my own experience. Yeah. So when it comes to, when it comes to having the opportunity to to do whatever you want you know and and we find this so often with with the young impressionable minds why do you think it is other let's other than you know the brain's not just fully developed yet what do you think is the lure like what is it that 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 pulls us 
so much into a lifestyle that is usually contrary to God's will for us? Two things come to my mind. One is sin is fun. If mm. it wasn't fun, everybody would have been doing it. And then the Bible tells us why people engage in sin. Because the results of sin is not executed until much later, mm. right? You know, if you smoked cigarettes and you got lung cancer the next day, no one would be smoking cigarettes. Right. But the effects of the cigarette smoking and the lung cancer doesn't come until 30 years later. And so even in my own life, when I was living in the height of sin, it was euphoric. It was so euphoric that I thought, you know what, even if I had grown up in the church and I knew Bible prophecy and I knew doctrines, and for me, I never doubted the existence of God. I didn't have bad experiences in the church. Mm -hmm. I knew God was real. I knew he existed. But I thought that if life could be this exhilarating and this euphoric, I'd be willing to trade in my eternal destiny mm -hmm. for what this world has to offer. So I was deceived in one way. I was completely deceived. The other thing about the difference, there's a book called The Teenage Brain written by a neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. and the main difference between adults and young people, adolescents, including young adults, until your frontal lobe matures, the one main difference is consequences. Mm. See, as adults, when we think about an idea or a plan or our kid's going to do something, the first thing we think about is consequences, what's going to happen. But see, when you're young, we don't process consequences, which really explains a lot of the dumb things that my friends and I did when we were mm. in high school. And I look back, I'm like, well, what were we thinking? We weren't. We were just thinking in the moment about the fun that we we're going to have. Mm. You know, I remember, you know, my routine would be like get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, driving to work, smoking a cigarette, and think, wow, life is grand. I'm going to ride this thing out. And the thing is that initially sin is fun. But the Bible tells us that, speaking of Moses, that he, he, you know, he chose one direction over the pleasures of sin for a season. That tells us sin only is fun for a season. That's not very long. Mm. And so, you know, when you're in that season, you think you're invincible. You know, I was young. I was finishing dental school. I'm going to be making more money than I've ever made in my life. Um, I had my health. And all I could think about was having a grand time with my friends. Mm. going out. And so at that time, I'm not thinking about anything else but serving myself. When I look at King Solomon's life, initially, you know, when God tells him, I'll give you anything that you want, and he wants a heart of understanding mm. so that he can judge his people. So his focus is on other people, right? And you see such a humble attitude. Yeah. And when you contrast that with his life later on, what is his life all around, all about? It's focused on himself. The focus is only on himself, and that humility is completely gone it was imperceptible. It happened so slowly. You know, they say, how do you eat an elephant? The answer is one bite at a time. You know, when we say someone fell into adultery, you know, you don't really fall into adultery. It actually started from other things way before that time. Maybe it was pornography. Maybe it was not controlling your lustful thoughts. Maybe not spending your time with the Lord. But no one just falls into sin. It starts slowly. And so it was with Solomon. It starts slowly. I mean, you don't just end up married to hundreds of women. He seems to have some sort of insatiable appetite for lust. Lust for women, for power, for political influence. But let's step down from our high horses for a second. His experience speaks to the entirety of the human experience. The desire that we all have for whatever passions and vices we are tempted with. The reality is that were we to let go of our hold on the Lord, were we to send him away so that we could live a life chasing the wind, we too would fill our cup to the brim with a thousand evils. 
You know, I can relate to that because I discovered from my own experience, we were literally going clubbing three to six nights in a row. Mm -hmm. The most I ever clubbed was 21 nights in a row. One time I was in three different clubs in one night. I mean, most people you go to a club, I mean, we start at 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, we're in a different, different club. And then a lot of clubs end at one or two. Now we're going to another club that's open till later. Mm. And I discovered from my own experience that sin cannot be satisfied. It goes for greed, it goes for addiction. You know, no, no, no one quits at a certain, you know, I'm, I've got plenty, I'm satisfied and content. And so, um, you know, Andrew Carnegie, who is one of the wealth, most wealthiest men, when they asked him, how much more money would you need? At that time, he had so much wealth and he goes, just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we can learn from King Solomon's experience is that if one woman cannot satisfy you, 1,000 women cannot satisfy you. Sin is insatiable. There's no satisfaction. And the thing is, in my life, initially, it was all, you know, it was bliss. Mm -hmm. It was fun, pleasure, seeking after that. But eventually, it catches up, and all of a sudden, it's no longer satisfying. Mm -hmm. I remember being in a bus in Korea. I'd go to create a party. And I was sitting in that bus, and this is years after I'd been engaging in this kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, my life's not normal anymore. You know, my parents, they come home, they garden. They go for walks together. They read books. And when I was young, I was a bookworm. And I had come to a point where I couldn't do any of those things. My life existed like the only place I could be is in a club with the music playing and we're out and we're having, you know, we're clubbing, dancing. And as soon as I left that place, I would just feel an emptiness in my life, a void. Mm -hmm. And nothing could fill that void. And I chased after everything that was available pleasure-wise. And so that's kind of when I started to realize that, wow, life is really, really meaningless. What am I li living for? Um, and so, but I'm looking back, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, you know, I wonder how come Satan doesn't make it so that the pleasure lasts forever? Mm. You'd have probably have greater success, but I'm so glad that I fell into that emptiness and hit rock bottom because that's when I realized I need something more in my life. Right. And I think that's the same conclusion that Solomon comes to himself. You know, you look in Ecclesiastes chapter two and he's talking about how, you know, he had all the money and he had. He had the vineyards and he had the orchards and he had the fruit and he had the gold and the silver and everything that you could possibly want. He says, whatever mine eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Um, I withheld not my heart from any joy. Um, all of these things I had. And then he says, I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, everything was vanity and there was nothing new under the sun. Yep. And it's almost as if, because you hear that, that, that phrase a lot, nothing new under the sun. I think it's probably the least believed phrase in scripture that there's nothing new because we always, we always fall, because we always fall for the same deception that it can be different for us, that our experience can testify that, no, actually I found new things. I found pleasure away from the Lord, and it was lasting. Yeah. And I think, well, go and read the guy that had all the pleasure in the world and see what he had to say. He says, nothing. There was nothing new. It was all vanity. Um, yeah, with King Solomon, in that same way, he thought he would also be the exception, mm -hmm. that he could maybe engage in relationships outside of God's defined prescription. Right. And so he thinks that he's the exception that, you know, I won't fall into this. 
um, in so many ways, and it's it's relatable. Like for example, um, you know, we all grow up hearing that money doesn't make us happy, mm. and maybe subconsciously we realize that money. You know, we see examples, and you know, we see all the Hollywood stars. Money doesn't make us happy, and studies show that money doesn't make us happy. Studies actually show that um, as long as your basic needs are met, food and shelter, beyond making seventy thousand dollars, beyond that, you can make two million, ten million will not affect your happiness. Doesn't make you any happier. Mm. And if you know, if you hang out with any people who've got money, most of them are some of the most miserable people in the world. But we still want to find out for ourselves, don't we? Yeah. You know, especially when you look at college students, you know, and I remember when I was in, you know, growing up as an immigrant kid, I only had one goal in my mind. My goal was I want to get out, get a career and start making money. Mm -hmm. And so there's something about us that we kind of want to find out for ourselves, even though we're told this. And that's the difference, I think, is I'm, you know, I'm 48. I'm going to turn 49 in a couple of weeks now. I'm getting close to 50. And, you know, one of the things I realize as I get older and older is like all those proverbs, all those maxims, all those things that we heard that were so cliche and you realize there's a reason for there's a reason they're all there because they're all true perhaps the greatest example of pride is to think that one can walk in the way of righteousness without the help of the Lord that we can just live it up but we'll never go that far will never stray to the point that we ourselves cannot return. We'll loosen our grip, but we'll never actually let go. Satan believed the same thing, that he could be like the Most High, even after turning his back on him. Chances are, you're not the exception. Solomon spends his life chasing the wind and arrives at the supposed peak of the mountain of life empty-handed. These things were written as an example for us. Stop chasing the wind, people. Stop striving for that which will fade, that which will burn in the end. As he said at the end of the book himself, he who lived such a life, if you're going to do anything, fear God and keep his commandments. For that is the whole duty of man. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. So throughout this season, we've been hammering on about this new app called Luminate. And we're going to unashamedly do it again. This morning, I was out having my morning walk. It's California summer, so it's still like 85 degree heat at 7.30 a.m. And it was as if I was transported to another realm. I had my earphones in, and I was listening to our mutual friend, Kali Burachara, take me through the first three chapters of one of my favorite books, Steps to Christ. I finished that hour walk with a heart that was both elevated and accelerated. And I can't recommend it enough. Go to your app store and search Luminate World and download it now for free. The Lineage Journey series on YouTube is some of the best content on that platform, period. Five-minute episodes that take you throughout the entire history of the Christian movement. Where else can you get that? 
They've even got a brand new 42 episode series that is being released right now. But what if you want more depth? Something longer, something you can really sink your teeth into. Well, they've got you covered on that one too with the Lineage Journey podcast, where in each episode, they've got certified experts on to take you through all of the details of the whys and the hows of Christian history. They've got close to 15 episodes out now with another 15 on the way. So why not subscribe to them too and check out their stuff? Remember, history shapes identity. And the content you consume shapes you. Check it out. Solomon's journey isn't merely a lesson on vanity. It's a thesis on the very purpose of life itself. Here we are, surrounded by everything we could possibly want and more. We live in a time of plenty, and yet all we seem to want is more. More money, more pleasure, more fame, more. Ecclesiastes has been given to us to say, hold up. There's something more than the material world. There's something more than your hedonistic appetites. There's purpose. Genuine purpose for life. And that purpose, that's something that we dare not ever let go of. Here's a guy, he started his life off understanding his purpose, mm. you know? You know, his, his purpose in life, I mean, Israel, God had set up this kingdom to be a blessing to the world. And when you look at this interaction with the queen of Ethiopia, I mean, what a blessing. Mm. I mean, just think of what a legacy it could have been to be a light. The parable of the fig tree comes to my mind. You know, here, the owner plants a fig tree in a vineyard, which is kind of odd initially, right? Why mm. would you put a fig tree that doesn't belong in a vineyard? But that fig tree represents Israel. And it kind of goes back. There's a, a method of Bible interpretation called the law of first mention. Where do you first see a fig tree? And you see it first seed in the Garden of Eden. And what did they do with the fig leaves? They covered themselves. And linen is supposed to be representing the righteousness of the saints. We cover ourselves with Christ's righteousness. That's what Revelation tells us. And yet they covered themselves. And so it represents self-righteousness. And throughout in the New Testament, when you see Jesus mentioned fig tree, actually through the whole Bible, the fig tree represents the children of Israel. And there's was to be planted in the vineyard, and the vineyard represents the world in Jesus' parable when he sends his sons out to go work in the vineyard. And here, they're to bear fruit. And contextually, in that story, they're to bear fruits of repentance. But not just bear fruits of repentance, they're to bear fruits that will be a light to the world. And here, we know what happened, and you know they failed to do that. And you know we see probation closes in that story, right? It's like, cut that tree down. And so, this is all that Solomon could have had. And he knew what his purpose was. And as he was fulfilling his purpose, you see God's heart. Mm -hmm. God just wants to bless him. And um, you see his kingdom, his growing in wealth, his influence, and the people. They respected their king. What a blessing. And then you see how tyrannical he becomes as he loses that purpose and focus in his life. And when you lose that focus, there's only one focus. It's just me, 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 myself, and I. And you know, we live in that kind of a society today. Um, all around us, one of my Bible study contacts, we we're studying something, and he was sharing how, you know, he was, he was this is something that the world espouses. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't love somebody else unless you love yourself. And it sounds good on the surface, doesn't it? Well, how mm -hmm. can you love somebody unless you really love yourself? Mm -hmm. 
But the Bible doesn't teach anything about loving yourself. What the Bible tells us, it says you need to love others like you love yourself because we already love ourselves. That's not the problem. You don't need to love your, you know, this whole self-esteem movement. Well, you don't, you have these issues because you, you, your self-esteem is low. No, we're, our self-esteem is pretty actually high. We mm -hmm. actually naturally are, you know, self-centered. It comes naturally. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3 and, the, and describing the end times and perilous times will come and men will be what? Lovers of themselves. But here, you know, what the world espouses creeps in and it sounds normal and it sounds mainstream. But you know, what does Jesus tell us to do? The first and second great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your fellow man as yourself. And you know, from my own experience, when I was living that life, all I could think about was pleasing myself. It didn't matter if I was trampling on people, hurting people's hearts. You know, doing things, looking back, I'm like, wow, I've become so immoral. I grew up in a Christian home. There's things that I, you know, I, I would never have done. And yet, you know, I, I just lost all of the principles and morals that I had grown up with. And it didn't happen overnight. It happened slowly. It just got eroded. You know, when I first started, you know, how it started is I was in dental school. It was my second year. And sure, in college, I'd experimented a little bit with alcohol and weed and things like that. But for the most part, I kind of stayed away from a lot of that. I was focused on getting to dental school. And I was studying hard. My spiritual life was good. And in my second year of dental school, um, swing dancing had become this new fad. Gap, the clothing company, had put out a commercial called Gap Swing. And these guys are wearing Gap clothes and they're swing dancing. And this commercial became a, just a popular thing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this 1930s iconic dance that people used to do years ago became this new thing. And so I was invited to go to a swing club. And I went there and I was watching them. And, you know, unless you know what you're doing, it's no fun. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a girl, you don't know how to dance. A guy can take you and show you basic steps. And I just kind of watched and I thought, you know, when you don't know how to do something, you think, this is dumb. Mm -hmm. This is so dumb. I thought I'd never come back here again. Somehow, I don't know how, what happened. I ended up back at that club two, three weeks later. Now, keep in mind, this is not like going to some, you know, crazy club. It's not a you rave. Know, it's not a rave or anything like that. This is like swing music. This is like 1930s music. And everyone, a lot of people dress up like 1930s wear. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new <laughs> under the sun. Exactly. And so I was watching this and I was like, I need to learn how to do this. Mm. So I took one lesson and it just clicked. You learn just the basic footwork and it totally makes sense. And it was so much fun. Next thing you know, we're driving out to LA an hour away from Loma Linda, anywhere from three to six nights a week. And soon hanging out with this in a crowd, eventually soon I pick up smoking and then pick up drinking, things like that. And then eventually now it's all kinds of dance. And eventually now I'm going to the rave scene and now I'm experimenting with drugs. It's, fu it's funny how how you can have these like really strong, high moralistic positions, you know, where you can look, you, you kind of peer into your prospective future and say, well, I'm never going to do that. Right. You know, that's never going to be me. For me, it was the smoking thing. I never actually did, but I would, I would see my mom was a, a big smoker and I would be like, I'm never going to do that. And then I remember my, my younger brother coming to me and saying, Dean, why does mommy do that? And I was like, well, you know, she's been doing it since she was 13 years old. She's just addicted to it. And he's like, but it smells really bad. He's six years young. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he's like, I'm never going to do that. That's horrible. And I was like, good, good. Um, he smokes more than she does now. You know, I remember my cousin, same conversation. His mom didn't smoke, 
but my mom would always be at his house and he was like, man, your mom's disgusting. She's always smoking and it stinks and it makes our clothes stink and the house stink. I was like, I felt embarrassed. I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I'm never going to do that. He smokes more than her now. And I had, you know, growing up, it was just, it was just my mom, my brother in the home. She instilled in me these values, you know, in terms of how you treat people and the things that you should get involved in and the things that you shouldn't. And for me, I was like, well, drugs and alcohol, because I wanted to be an athlete. Yeah. Drugs and alcohol, where I was going to draw the line. And then all my friends were getting involved in that stuff. And before I knew it, I had drugs in my house. I wasn't using them, but I was selling them, you know, and I was trying to make money to get the latest things when, when I grew up knowing that that really wasn't the most important thing. And I think that that's, that's one of those, the, the pitfalls of sin, that you can get to the place where you think it's never going to be you until it is. Yep. And then you're there and you're like, how? And you don't notice like this, this giant step that you took to become like that because you just slowly allowed the devil to break you down bit by bit until that line that you would never cross was already way behind you. Absolutely. And you know, one thing I want to add to what you just said is that, um, you know, temptation, and you see this in the Bible, temptation often comes from an avenue we least expect. For example, you look at Jacob, the temptation came from his own mother mm. to deceive his father. And you look at other stories and temptation often comes to us from our, those closest to us. Not from, you know, you think, be careful of the bad guy down the street. You know, mm. the guy who's dealing crack. Right. Well, you're not hanging out with that guy. <laughs> be careful of those evil people. Be careful of the mafia. <laughs> We've never, we don't even hang out with gangbang. We don't meet these people. Yeah. But it's really the temptation comes from those closest around us. Mm. For me, it was my classmates who invited me out there to something innocuous. But eventually, that's all Satan needs, you know. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that with Solomon, um, this, doesn't, this doesn't happen in his youth. You know, this isn't, as, as, as we see, he becomes king really young when his dad passes away. And, and there's a period of time, arguably, where Israel is at its absolute peak because of his rulership in his youth. And it seems like he's got everything lined up. You know, he is, he's the culmination of, of many of these prophecies that were given, you know, that you would bless the whole world, that God would bless you to bless the world. And, and that's what Israel has now with Solomon as its young king. His fall actually comes later in life. I read that he had become king when he was 15 years old. Mm. You think about that when I was 15. Oh, I was immature. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes we caution the youth. We caution the youth. But here is a prime example of someone not in his youth. He was faithful, mm -hmm. but it's in his latter years. And even when I look around and we see some of our esteemed speakers and those who may have a moral fall, we often see this happening later on in life. Mm -hmm. There's a, a proverb that comes to my mind. It's a Korean saying. Basically, it, I'm going to try to translate the best I can. But, you know, like galvanting, and, you know, being reckless later on in life is much more dangerous mm -hmm. than earlier on in life. Now, of course, we don't want to do that earlier or later on. Right. Life, but, you know, when you do that earlier in life, like I did, there were consequences. But those consequences are not as big mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. But when you do these things later on in life, the consequences are huge. You, you wreck other people's lives. 
in, in, in his case, wow, he had so much influence over our entire kingdom. And then he becomes oppressive to his people as a result. You know, his compassion and his love for his people are not there anymore. And so we see what happens to his kingdom. Why do you think it is that um, that those falls tend to come later? Because as you've said, when you're young, brain's not fully working and, and the consequences aren't even that great. So if there's any time, it's probably then. You've got excuses and a lack of serious consequences. When you're older, you've had experiences, you're able to think about things properly, you know the consequences right. are greater, but yet that's when it seems to tumble down just as it did in his case. You know, that's a good question. I only have a theory for that. You know, I often think, um, you know, we'll see, for example, let's just say for an example, you have some girl meets boy, they're high school sweethearts. They get married 10 years later, the husband or wife is dissatisfied with their relationship. They think in their mind that, you know, find someone better that mm -hmm. would solve all their problems. And you and I know that all you do is you trade one set of problems for a whole nother set of problems. But, you know, because they've never had this experience, and I don't know why it is that, and I speak for myself, I was one of these people, I always learn from my own mistakes. You know, the wise person will learn from someone else's mistakes. Right. You'll see it. We see it all around us. And, and there's something about this. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, Satan's powerful. He's, he knows how to deceive and delude us into thinking that the grass is greener on the side. And it, that's a hard one for me to understand because for me, because of my poor choices and because of the experiences that I had, you know, you play with fire, you get burned. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Sure, you heal, but the scars will always be there. And there are things that I have to live with. When I share my testimony, I always caution the young people. When I share the whole testimony, you know, and I know what it's like for a young person, they hear the story and they go, you know what, I want to have that kind of testimony. I want to have that kind of experience. <laughs> and then, you know, I can experience the world and then I'll come back. And I always want to caution the youth that there are serious consequences. There are things that I had to overcome that they will never have to overcome. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine if you've never tried, you know, you've never tried, uh, you know, a certain drug, it would never be a temptation for you. You don't know. It. But once you do, and there's just certain things that you're going to have to battle. And there are certain things that I had to work very hard and only by God's grace was I able to overcome these things. But the thing is, for everyone who overcomes, I look around my friends and there's a lot of people who never make it back. Right. And so it's something you don't ever want to trifle with. You do not want to trifle with sin. You know, from my firsthand experience, I've discovered sin not only hurts me, it hurts, it hurts the heart of God. Mm. It hurts his children. It hurts others. Sin has built in consequences and the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death you know to understand that um, what the cost that it took that you know we hear this so much that Jesus died for our sins I totally understand it kind of becomes trite and it loses its meaning but you know as I am growing in my walk with the Lord and I realize that this gift that God gave is beyond computation it's inestimable it could not have been said that he could have done more there's nothing more he could have done. He gave all of heaven to save you and I. Mm. And, you know, when I think about that, I just imagine, you know, when I see God, when I see Jesus, what's it going to be like that moment we see Jesus? The only, I don't, you know, we, when I think about it, the only thing I can imagine, I think for most of us, we're going to stand there. And when we fully recognize the price that was paid, we will have no words. Mm. We'll just have tears streaming down our eyes. That's the only thing. There's a quote I love that says, there is no limit to the usefulness of the one who, putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart. 
and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. But the opposite of it must also be true. There is no limit to the wickedness of one who, putting self center stage, makes concession for sin and lust in his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to the enemy. Ecclesiastes is one of those books that you have to read to the end. Otherwise, you'll leave depressed. You'll leave thinking that there's no purpose to anything, that life, regardless of how it's lived, is simply spent chasing the wind, meaningless, vanity. But when we get to the end of the book, we find a man once lost in wickedness who looks back and says, yes, it was all a colossal waste of time, But now, if there's one thing I know, it's this. Life is best lived with the Lord. That's why I think his perspective is so important. It's because he explored and he experienced every depth of human experience. Mm. The highs, the lows, the sorrows, the pain, the trials. See, what I see here in life is most people don't experience all this. So they keep thinking that there's something out there. Mm. I'll give you an example. I have a cousin who's agnostic. And he grew up and he hadn't seen his father since he was a young boy. He's searching for happiness. And he wants to meet his father. And I see that. What I see is he thinks that the moment, the reason why the woes and the lack of happiness in his life is because he's never had a connection with his earthly father. Mm. And he thinks as soon as I meet my father, that's going to be that's gonna be it. Right. Well. You know, in his later age, as an adult, he was able to meet his father. Mm. His problems are still there. You see that on talk show hosts, right? Someone just wants to meet their baby daughter that they gave away for adoption or, you know, their long-lost somebody. Or they just think, if I just make enough money, if I marry the the person that I love, all my problems will solve. Mm. And so because, and so they just keep chasing after these things. Whereas in Solomon's case, and in my case, I chased after everything that I thought would bring me happiness. I was in a pursuit for one thing, pleasure and happiness mm. and nothing that came my way and that's where I can relate with Solomon is that anything that I wanted I, I sought after and, and in no way the way that Solomon did of sure. course you know what I mean but everything that I desired and I chased after every vice that came my way and here at the end of his life he makes a complete U-turn you know at the beginning of the book this book Ecclesiastes is like an essay on apologetics but not in the traditional sense of does God really exist or there isn't a God It's different because he begins by writing from the perspective of someone who writes as if God doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. And here at the end of his life, he completely makes a U-turn. And his perspective is that God does matter. And we see that. And how does he say this? He tells us, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Here he's telling us that every single thing does matter and that a life with God does matter. In my own personal life, someone just recently asked me, they said they'd heard my testimony being shared by my best friend. I'll actually share with you what happened, how I had the conversion. Um, I'd invited my best friend to come to Seattle to go to a rape with me. Now my best friend at that time is 32 years old. He's a prosecuting attorney. You know, you prosecute people who are breaking the law. Mm. But when you're yourself living in an empty life, you're grasping after pleasure. And so he took me up on my offer, came up to Seattle, took him to a rave, put him, 
gave him ecstasy. It was his first time. And we're in a rave. And in a rave, I'm in my thing. I'm high on ecstasy. I'm dancing, having a great time. And it was at that rave that God spoke to him. And I see him at about four in the morning. And he goes, Calvin, I've given my life to the Lord. It was very sobering. You can imagine. And I'm thinking at that moment, this is not the time. You know, I'm high on ecstasy. I'm having a good time. Like you're killing my high. But God had spoken to him in a very real way. He was sick and tired of one foot in the church, one foot in the world, just grasping for happiness. Anyways, that was a defining moment in his life. His life completely changed. When he went back home, he quit his job um, for one year to go be a, a missionary mm. in the islands. And when he came back, he still felt like, you know what? Do I want to spend the rest of my life prosecuting people and putting them into prison? And so he actually quit his job and went to AFCO for the four-month program and afterwards because he was already a prosecuting attorney, so he's good at standing in front of people and speaking. So they picked him up as an evangelist for 10 years. And, um, you know, it was right after that rave incident that Dave was pleading with me to give my life to the Lord. And at that time, I had fallen so far away, but I was so sick and tired of the darkness. And so it was just, it was just a miracle that God could, you know, he can, if he can part the waters, he can part that fog in our brain of being intoxicated and incoherent and speak. And through Dave, Dave ministered to me. And that's when I had given my life to the Lord. So how exactly did that happen? Oh, he would call me. And he said, Calvin, you need to give your life to the Lord. And I said, Dave, I know you're right. I, I can't. And then all of a sudden, just not very long after that, I went through a trial where I really hurt somebody big time. And I thought, what am I doing? And that, that night, I just cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I just, I'm tired of this. I just want to give my life back to you. And one of the things I could not quit was I could not quit smoking. I tried quitting smoking. I was smoking a pack a day. And only that night, I never, I, that next day, I never had a craving again. So that was just, you know, you know, and it was this miracle that I needed. And so I began my journey and I was just hungering and thirsting for anything spiritual. I just want to meet people who are studying the Bible. I want to meet with them. I was reading my Bible and just, um, so, you know, that next six months was a real spiritual high. Mm -hmm. But after that, yeah. And then I went through my trials and struggles too, because you know, Satan pounds you with guilt and just all the different things like, man, you, you did this, you hurt these people, you did all these things. But I'm, I'm blessed that at that time, my parents had moved up to where I was. So I had my parents, um, I had good support. I had a good church. Without those things, it would have been easily, easy to just kind of slip back into the world. But, um, you know, God blessed. And that was um, 20 years ago. And, um, you know, looking back, I can attest to the superiority of the Christian life. I've been in darkness. I see light. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or harken back to a previous episode, you can find us now at wtdtpodcast.com. If you've been moved by this ministry through this episode or others, and you'd like to support us financially, you can become a patron. And if you do, you'll get early access to our episodes, discounts on our store, and access to our other podcasts a 40-day devotional podcast designed to kickstart your walk with God. We're calling it WTDT40. If this sounds like something you're interested in, or you just want to support in general, visit patreon.com forward slash WTDT to find out more. As always, please do subscribe, leave us a review, and follow our social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok too. We'll see you on the next episode. Once again... I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.